You're listening to Therapy for Your Money, a podcast about all things money and finance for therapy practice owners. If you want to feel confident and in control of your financial life, then you've come to the right spot. I'm your host, Julie Harris. I'm an accountant and the owner of Green Oak Accounting. My firm specializes in working with private practices across the U.S., and my team and I have worked with hundreds of private practice owners. I'm on a mission to share all the best practices I've learned along the way because I want you to have a profitable private practice. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Therapy for Your Money. Today, I'm chatting with Eric Miller. He's the co-owner of Econologics Financial Advisors, and he's also um, the chief financial advisor. So Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So we were having a little fun um, chatting before we hit record. Uh, we've got a lot of fun topics to talk about today, but I think the direction that we're going to go in is exit planning, understanding your investment. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm a financial advisor by trade, but no, I'm not going to sell anybody in insurance and annuities on this podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> we started our practice back in 2008, which was a heck of a year to start a financial planning Oof, business because yeah. that was exactly so, but there was a couple of things that we definitely wanted to do. We, I knew I wanted to, to help people um, financially. And I knew that we had to do that. We had to focus on a niche. So we we started working with a private practice, physical therapists, and, and then we just kind of evolved from there. But, you know, I learned early on that if I'm going to help any kind of practice owner with their personal finances, then I need to know something about their biggest investment, which is their practice for most yeah. people and how to better utilize it, how to help them increase the value of it. And then ultimately, you know, make sure that when they're ready to transition, making sure that they can transition for maximum value and that they're ready to do it, right? They're, they're in a financial position where they're ready to transition uh, to their next life, whatever that looks like. So we've been, we've been doing that for the last 12 years. And um, it's, you know, I like, I like helping people that help other people that always, when I help people with their finances yes. like that, I, I feel like they can, they can see other people that will, that, you know, that'll just kind of compound that. So I, I want to make sure, and private practice owners are, are dramatically underserved financially Yeah. Um, that they just don't give, they just get a lot of cookie cutter advice that I don't think is what they need. So that's my, so I feel the same way about helping the helpers, right? Cause like my, my, um, superpower is not uh, being a therapist and helping people in that way, but I can help the therapist with my superpower mm -hmm. and that, that in turn goes and helps the world. So how do you approach financial planning in a different way with a business owner? Well, I think the simplistic way that we do it is, is their business is an investment. Okay. But their, my, my target is their household because in the way that we look at things, you know, you look at corporate America out there, they talk a lot about like parent companies and, you know, these big corporations have these parent companies, but, you know, you look at any kind of economy or civilization for that matter, and it really is based upon households, family units, right? That's the, the a building block of a civilization is a family unit. So we, we really look at the household as the parent company. And anything that that person does is really for the benefit of their household or their community, I guess you could say as well. So that's, that's really where we start with financial planning is like the households, the parent company, and then any, any assets that they own, whether it's a 401k or a piece of real estate or a private practice, 
is an asset of that household. Okay. But you have to run your household like a business, right? You got to be mindful of expenses and you have to, you know, deliver value and have policies and procedures and have metrics that you use to measure your household financial condition. So these are all things that we try to teach people is to make sure that they're running their household like a business, which I think is a little bit different than just doing like a portfolio review of your, oh. of your stocks and bonds. And ideally your expenses are less than your income, right? Even in the house, in the business and in the household. That'd be, that'd be great for like everything. <laughs> well, everyone. Everyone would have that mindset. We'd be okay. So, yeah. So when, uh, when a business owner comes to you and says, Eric, I am feeling real tired. I've got this offer on my business. Does mm -hmm. it make sense for me to take it? What, yep. what is your process there? Well, I, I think there's two there's two questions that we ask them. Number one, what is your, your personal financial readiness to do so? And what I, what I mean by that is that have you, you've had this practice for a period of time. Have you utilized it to create other income sources outside of the business? Have you um, gotten yourself relatively out of debt? Um, you know, are, are you, are you able to function without the, the, the practice anymore? Okay. Ideally, you would be able to like your household should still be able to run even without the business. I mean, that would be ideal. I know that's, that's, that's not real for a lot of people right now, but that would be an ideal condition to be in. That's what we try to get people to, to do. But I would ask them their financial readiness. And the second question that I ask them is their emotional readiness. You know, are you, uh, why Ooh. are you stepping away? Yeah. Okay. So your question was, I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling burnt out. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling all these, you know, negative emotions. I would say that, you know, in my experience and I'm not always right, but my experience is, is that when, when that occurs, it's because you've been putting forth a lot of effort to do something and you're not getting the value back to you personally. You're not getting the exchange back. Okay. Whether it's, whether it's money or, you know, validation of some kind, whatever it is. Okay. So why are you burnt out? All right. Your, your business, that, that's the first question. Why, what's the reason that you're burnt out? But I will say that I, I would tell people never, ever, 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 ever sell your business when you feel like you're burnt out. And the, that was the, a lot of Evers. <laughs> I know. That was a ton of Evers. And, and I'll tell you why is because when you're in that state of, not feeling very good about yourself or feeling confused and feeling overwhelmed and all those things. I rarely see people make good decisions after they've been in that kind of state. Like right? just period, right? Yeah. Good decisions, period. Not just financial, but like all just across good, the board. Just good decisions, period, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I would say that if you're feeling that way, you know, don't make it a, a fine, especially a financial decision of that magnitude, because it's generally the wrong thing to do generally. Yeah. And so it, it, I think that's the point though, where people are a little bit more susceptible to like, if you're to, to considering an offer, cause it's not uncommon in the mental health industry for someone to come knocking and say, Hey, we're interested in your practice. What's your number. Right. And, and I think it's in those moments of tiredness, it's hard to recruit. Um, maybe the profit margins have been slimmer for whatever reason that, it, that it's, it's tempting to, at least consider the offer. Hey, here's a million dollars and all your problems are going to go away with staff and, you know, yeah. insurance reimbursers and all those things. And it looks good, but then you figure, 
I got to pay tax and I have to, yeah. you know, I may own some debt or, and then all of a sudden, you know, a million dollars is 300,000. And then you're like, well, I can make that in three years owning the practice. Why would I give away that income stream? You know? Yeah. And for so. a lot of um, folks, a million dollars sounds really nice, but if you're 41 years old, it's like, that's just not going to be enough for, for the rest of your life. Right. Definitely not for the rest of your life. It, it may get, it might, it may buy you some time to go do something else, but you, you know, you really have to, you really just have to really do the math on that and, um, and make sure that, you know, you're going to have enough income from the sale in conjunction with everything else that you've done outside of, of the business, maybe investing wise that the, it's going to give you what we call your desired income number. And, and if it's not, then it's, you're not ready to sell it at this point in time. Now, there may be some other factors why you sell it. Maybe you're, maybe there's a health issue. Maybe there's, I don't know, family issue that kind of forces you to sell it. But if you don't have to, um, I would just, I would make, I would make it so that I was in a better emotional state, not only me, but my, I would get my business in a better condition as well. Cause you know, I don't really see a lot of people that have really good functioning businesses that where they have other people doing the work and it's managed well, you know, and it's solvent and it's profitable. I mean, they're not looking to give their business away, right? right they're they're right. like, I'm this, Hey, I can hold on to this or I cannot, you know, make me a really, really good offer. So I think that's how you want to sell your business in that condition. Okay. Well, and so let's talk about some numbers then um, mm -hmm. for a million dollar a year group practice, right? Million dollars in gross revenue. Uh, at my firm, we tend to expect about a 20%, 20 to 30% profit margin. Um, so that's two to $300,000 a year. And like right now we're probably seeing closer to 200 K, um, in, in, um, private in, uh, insurance practices. And so talk us through like how you would think of that with your client as far as the numbers go. Yeah. So, okay. And maybe you can help out with this one. So if, if a practice like that is doing $200,000 a year, like what are the multiples that that would generally sell for? In, Around in, five, that okay. typically would be a five, a five multiple. So, so a $200,000 practice uh, earning um, profit margin practice would sell for about a million dollars then. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's about right. Okay. So, uh, I guess the, the way that I would, I would look at that is like $200,000. Now you got to work for that 200,000. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not passive, so to speak, right. but it is pretty significant, you know, and for most people, that's a pretty large income source. So the, you know, the way that I would, I would, before I sold, I would like really make sure like, okay, $200,000 a year of income is what I get from this, this asset. You know, if I did the math, if I, if I had $4 million in an account earning 5%, then that would replace that income source. Okay. So I, I look at that and say, well, my, I know my business isn't worth $4 million on the open market to right. somebody, but it's worth that much to me as an income source. Okay. So I really got to make sure that I've, I've replaced or, you know, I've created other income sources so that I'm not reliant just upon the sale for my income. Because if you, if you sell your business for a million, let's say you pay 700, let's say you pay $300,000 in taxes, you're left with yeah. $700,000 left over. Now you're only, you know, maybe, maybe 6%, you're getting like 42,000 of income from that. 
Yeah. That, so, so what kind of other income could you have replaced uh, that with outside of the business? Like where that might, where a decision like that might make sense? Well, I think the, the first thing is, is that the, when you own your practice, this is one thing we tell everyone to do right away. As soon as you can do this, the better um, when you, even when you first start your practice is that you have to, you know, you, you realize that, okay, in your practice, you're, you, you have three different roles, right? You're a practitioner. Most people are practitioners. Yep. You also have your executive functions, which is, you know, managing the business, maybe a CEO function or something like that. And then you also have your owner role because you established that business there. I mean, you put it there, you took all the risk, you know, it, you're responsible for the culture of the organization. You're responsible for like the vision, the compliance, all of that. That's like an owner function. So yeah. you got to make sure you pay yourself accordingly for that. So I, I try to have every owner take the first 10% of their practice revenue. Okay. Right off the top and put it in as an expense. And that money is designed to go to the household, not for consumption purposes, not for boats and cars. And it's for the purpose of creating other outside investments so that you, you don't, you're not a hundred percent reliant upon the business or the sale of the business for the rest of your life. Now, that's okay, a big so 10% of the practice. top line of the business or 10% of what you take home, 10% of the top line of the business. Wow. That's aggressive. <laughs> I know it's people are like, I'm clutching say, my pearls over here. That's say, a lot. They're like, say what? I'm like, yes. And, and most people are like, well, they, they think that the math right now, well, there's no way I can do that. And I'm like, you're right. There's no way you can do that right now because you're underestimating how much income you actually need to function. Okay. I didn't say it was going to be easy. I just said, if you want to have, you know, the ideal financial life that you want, then I would, I'd start incorporating that as an expense. Okay. Right away. And what ends up happening funny enough is that when you start to, and I would start with the full 10%, by the way, if so anybody listening, please don't start with that full 10% because your business will go bankrupt really quick. Yeah. That, that, that may or but, may not, it, but uh, not start, work. but start small and then gradiently increase it, you know, every four weeks. And what ends up happening is it just becomes like a bill, just like any other bill that you have. And I, I've seen miracles on this. I mean, I've had people that, that I've, that have million dollar practices. And like one year later, they have a hundred thousand dollars sitting in this outside account and their business is still functioning. And like, Eric, I don't know where the money came from. I'm like, I do. Okay. It was just getting lost in the business in, yeah. in the million different expenses that you see on a profit and loss statement in a business. Okay. It just gets lost somewhere. It gets spent because that's what an organization tries to do. It tries to spend every living dollar that it makes. So you got to make sure you expense out some that's at least going to go for something constructive which is, you know, taking care of your household financially. It's not easy to do, but it does create efficiencies in the business. I want to do a little parenthesis here. So when, when Eric is saying expense 10% um, yep. for investments, right? Like from a tax perspective, an outside investment that's for you personally, that's not an expense of the business, but, but what Eric is saying is carve Correct. out 10%, right? And we, um, I think my listeners are really familiar with profit first. I talk about yeah. it often. So like, that's definitely one of the accounts that you can have in profit first can be investments, right? So you're just earmarking that money 
before it touches the other account. So it's just sitting there, right? Just like your profit, your tax money is sitting mm -hmm. there ready for you. Um, but that would be for more long-term investments. It's still for the care of the owner. Um, yes. It's just another earmark, right? Correct. And that's right. It, it's definitely from a tax standpoint, probably drives CPAs crazy when I tell them to do that. But uh, yes, it's not, a real, it's not a business expense. It's, not, it's so. definitely not a business expense. That's for sure. Um, but I think it, you know, what it does is it forces the owner to look at their, their income, like demand for how much they actually need. And I'm a big believer that I know people, when they're given a target, especially practice owners, they're overachievers, they tend to hit it. Yes. Right. And I will say that most of them, when I, when I ask them, like, what is your make break number for your business? And, you know, they'll, they'll tell me, you know, this is what my make break number is. And, and that's usually how much they're making in their business. And I'm like, okay, we need to create a little bit more necessity here. Your make break number is wrong it, because it's, it doesn't include to your point that 10%, maybe it doesn't include money going to, to their tax account so that they don't always they have to borrow money to pay for their taxes at the end of the yeah. year. Um, you know, it could be, uh, what else there's, there's, there's four different accounts that I usually have them, um, set Kids aside college or something Whatever it like is, that. you know, yeah. it just, it just, it just, but it's going to create a necessity of my practice is doing $80,000 a month. But when I really look at it for me to do what I want to do in my life, it really needs to generate $95,000 a month. Okay. So how many more patient visits do I have to see? you know, let's break it down. And, and I can, I can do that. That's, I mean, the hard part was getting the first patient. Like I can go from, yeah. you know, 50 patients to 75 patients. I mean, I may do some more marketing and I may need to do a little bit better job of managing people, but I can do that. Right. So it's never as overwhelming as you think it is, but I, it, it's amazing that that difference there between 80 and 95,000 or whatever it would be in most people. I mean, it's a big difference in their lives financially huge. Yeah. And, and what, one interesting thing that I'm curious if you see as well is as a business starts, you know, it's not unusual for a business owner to be frugal because you're spending all your time, all your resources, all your money building the business. And then the business grows and you're doing better. And then all of a sudden there's all these different ways for money to slip away from you, a, a yeah. bigger car, bigger house, all of a sudden you're going on fancy vacations and you're the, the money's all being spent, but without necessarily being very intentional about the future. Do you, Correct. Do you see that come up? Oh, sure. I mean, and I, it makes sense to me because, you know, people are, you know, you go to school and, and a business growing a business hard and, yeah. you know, you finally get to a point where there's some quote unquote extra cash flow. you you know, I want that car. I want this, you know, I want this luxury item and whatever it would be, you know, which if they just kind of like, just ignored that impulse and, you know, started doing some of the things that um, we talked about, and I'm sure you talk about, um, they would, they would have much more time to be able to do all those things, you know, at some point, I think it would, it would just, it would condense the time down to when they were, they would actually be financially free. And that's, that's the game we're trying to get to is I don't want people to be 70 years old and still having to practice. I think that right. you should, you should be able to win this game, you know, in, if you have a reasonably good practice right now, let's say you're doing like over $500,000 a year, I think you should be able to get to financially, financially free in, in seven to 10 years, easy, you know, easy. So 
And financially free for you is, is what threshold? Yeah. I got a very simple definition for, for that because it, it's the, the money, the, the numerical, the, the math is different for everybody, but the experience to me would be this, um, your household would be in a financial condition where you had an, an abundance of income coming in from multiple sources. You'd be free of all bad debt. When I say bad debt, I'm talking about like consumption debt, not business debt. Like credit cards. Yeah, exactly. Um, your, your business would be profitable, sustainable, and transferable. Your assets would be protected from taxes, inflation, and lawsuits. Uh, and you would have time to pursue whatever life goals that you had. To me, that would be a full definition of what financial freedom would look like. So again, it's different for everybody on the money, you know, whether it's 5 million for one person, 10 million for one person, 3 million for another person. Um, I I think that it's, it's that experience that is the feeling is relatable, no matter what the number is. Correct. All right. So if someone really is ready to exit, um, or ready to sell their business, like what are some ways that, that you can help prepare them to, um, to be ready to sell? Well, I think, I think the first thing is you, you got to look at it from the buyer's perspective. Like, who do I want to sell this thing to? Like, okay. who, who are my, what are my exit strategies? And there are, you know, there's a number of exit strategies out there. I think primarily in private practice though, it's going to come down to three. It's going to be, I guess the, with the type of practitioners that you work with, maybe hospitals, you know, bigger, mm-hmm. a bigger group, a bigger corporation that would buy you out. Right. That would be one strategy. Uh, another one would be like just a competitor that that would buy you out, uh, or an associate, or some kind of a management, you know, an internal buyout of some kind. Yeah. So I think the first thing is you just got to pick what strategy you want to do, right? And and then from there, you know, it's you build you build your exit that way. But I think you get, you do have to start with who who's going to be the person that I'm going to sell this thing to. How do I want to exit out? So once you pick one of the strategies, one of those three, mm-hmm. do you have to, to keep going down that road or can you switch at some point if one of them doesn't work out? Well, you can always change your mind. That's the great thing about it is that you can always change your mind. But I think the 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 basic um, building, well, the, the basics of a business being in a really good condition are going to be the same for any kind of exit strategy that you look at. So I'll give you an example. So if you're, you know, if I go into a a practice and I see that there's policies and procedures written up that people are using, that there is a management system that where people, there's statistics that people are, you know, measuring what they're doing. Um, If I see that there's a, a systematized way of getting new patients in the door and that there's new patients coming in, if I see that the business is solvent and profitable and the finances, financials are in good order. Uh, if I see that all the assets of the business are in good shape, you know, there's, I don't have any compliance issues. Um, I I've been audited by an independent party so that, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm buying a pretty safe asset. Those are things that anyone can do prior to selling just to make sure that when a buyer comes in and starts looking at it, they're like, okay, this is, this is a good, this is a good investment because they've taken care of it. And those are some things, I mean, there's a lot of, there's probably 50 other things that I could probably rattle off, but those would be a couple of things that I think would be really, really important. You know, personnel, definitely one of them. Cause I mean, you're buying a business that's people, Yeah. you know, that that's made up of people. 
And then certainly the quality of your insurance contracts and those kinds of things would be good and making sure you don't have a lot of outstanding issues. There's not taxes owed. There's what, what are the, what are your lease arrangements look like, you know, in your business, you know, is it a good lease that I would be buying from the landlord? You know, all these things that you would look at prior to selling. Right. So if someone is listening to this list and thinking like, okay, I don't have my house in order, like <laughs> how far ahead of a potential sale should you really start getting your ducks in a row? Um, well, now, and <laughs> <laughs> I would say that you would want to start building it from day one and you don't have to do it all at once. Right. But I think you just need to know the core areas to look at. Okay. And I think that would be a, a place to start, but realistically, you know, you don't need, you know, I guess it really all depends on when you're thinking about transition. I would start right now, even if you have five years to sell, even if you have 10 years to sell or one year to sell, you know, I would just start looking at some of these core areas and making sure that, and just put yourself in the shoes of the buyer. Like if I come in here and want to buy this asset, like, is, is everything in good order? Is everything in good shape? Are we updated on our technology? You know, what are some things that, that we could do to make it a better experience? Because you, you started this practice and I'm assuming that you want to make sure that the legacy of it continues of some kind, right? Because it was a lot of hard work yeah. and effort. So I want to, I want to put it in a better condition than what I found it. And I want the next person to win depending on how they what they want to do with it from there on. But I want them to win. I want to put them in the best position to win. You got to have that mindset other than, Hey, how much money am I going to get out of it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and in part, because most, in most cases, you're the owner is going to be required to stay on for a certain amount of time. So you want that to be a good situation and a good transition period as well. Um, Cause you're going to be in the thick of it too. You probably will. And, and I would say for most people that when they, if they're selling to like an associate, I mean, you're, you're, you may have to like seller finance some of this. You may have to like, what, what I mean by that is be the bank. Let's say that you sell it for a million. Um, you know, even if they come up with 20 or 30%, you're probably still going to have to carry a note for a substantial amount of it. So you, you want to make sure you protect your investment and make yeah. sure it's in good shape. And that's not a bad way to do it either. I mean, it's, it, you, it, it'll, you can still work if you want to, you can still get paid as a practitioner. You're just not going to own it anymore. Yeah. Some people don't like that because then they get told what to do and they don't like that anymore. <laughs> it's a it's a big shift. <laughs> All right. I want to take one last one last uh, little detour here. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about, you know, making sure you've got money coming in from other income sources. Like what are some uh good, reliable yeah. outside income sources other than the business? Yeah. So I typically of that of that 10% that I I tell everyone to start taking yeah. out of the business, right? Um, there's usually three different types of investments that I will uh, have people channel that into. And uh, we could probably spend, you know, a whole day just on how to build that. But I'll give you kind of like the, the, the basic overview. The first off would be traditional, predictable um, stocks and bonds, things that have over time proven to you know, be able to provide a certain rate of return. So, you know, stocks and bonds of some kind would be where part of that money would channel. Um, another area is uh, insurance and annuities. Now, why, why would I do that? Even though, you know, all the big gurus say never put money in insurance and annuities and those kinds of things. Well, unfortunately they, 
um, they don't really look and see where a lot of the the wealthiest people position some of their assets because they do hold a lot of insurance and annuities. And the only reason they do that is because they want to be able to have some predictable guaranteed income and tax advantages of their income uh, at some point in time. So that's why they position a portion of their money into those reserves. Uh, and then the last one would be uh, real estate. So I look at, you know, different kinds of real estate that you can purchase that will produce income and appreciate in value. And I'm just not one of those advisors that's like, well, it's just all stocks and nothing else, or just, you know, insurance, you know, insurance guys are just going to sell you insurance or real estate. People are just going to say, put all your money in real estate. Yeah. I'm like, all three of them have proven track records and, you know, will do what they're supposed to do. So why not own all three of them? And if you're doing your 10%, you should have enough to be able to channel money into all three of those. But all three of those would provide other income sources outside of the practice. Eric, I really appreciate your time today. This was a great conversation. Um, if our listeners would like to find out more about you and your business, where can they find you? Yep. They can just go to econologics.com, uh, E-C-O-N-O-L-O-G-I-C-S. It's kind of one of those unusual coined words that we put together, but um, just go to econologics.com and we have plenty of downloads and uh, assessments and those kinds of things that people can take, financial assessments. Um, that people can take to, you know, get a gauge on where they at, where they're at right now. And, um, you know, good information to help them, you know, with their future finances. Perfect. And we will link to Econologics in the show notes as well. Thanks, Eric. Thank you very much. If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com slash accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.